0: welcome to chicago tabernacle a place of becoming wherever you find yourself we pray that you would be encouraged today by god's word hey good morning church good morning we're doing good praise the lord pastor dave i love you too bro Uh, he was 14 when we met i was 12 by the way yep and my wife is here she wasn't with us first service but uh, my wife chandra is well, he waves Chandra real quick. That's my wife, Chandra. And, um, and, and in fact, we'll talk a little bit about our ministry and what we do. And I want to talk about the most important team that I'm a part of, and that's my family. And I want to just show a quick picture of, uh, there we go. Yeah, so that's, that's Chandra, and that's our youngest. that She's holding Cameron. He's three, and then that's Ethan. He's our oldest. He is six and just love them so much. And God has been so, so good to us and so good to us through this house, through Chicago Tabernacle. And as Pastor Dave was sharing about all the things that God has done in his life and his family's life, through this church. Um, Again, we can all stand up here, um, just talk about over the last however many years what God has done through the Chicago Tabernacle Ministry. We've been blessed as a family, we've been blessed as a ministry, and it is our honor to call this our church home. And so thank you for um, being here and allowing me to, yeah, we can thank God for it. We've been so blessed and we can't wait to get Pastor Pastor Al and Chrissy back. and, and yeah, again, we're we're so honored to be able to stand here and share our hearts with you. And so so yeah, that's that's our family, and we are campus missionaries. Our heart has been to disciple college students, who will in turn disciple. Others. It's really as simple as that. We want to make disciples who make disciples. And that's the kingdom model. We saw Jesus do it, and we want to just continue in that legacy of true, authentic discipleship. And so um, pray for us, um, the college campus. We work on the quote-unquote secular college campuses. And so we are there. We like to believe that it's the most strategic mission field that there is because we're impacting the next generation. We're impacting students from all literally all over the world. Many of them are coming to campuses here in the United States from nations where it's illegal to preach the gospel. And so it's a very strategic um, way of reaching those in our own backyard who go back to their nations as lights for Jesus. And so we've seen God do some incredible, incredible things, and the Lord has been faithful. But my wife and I, we haven't done it alone. This is our team I want to show you. This is the dream team. This is our squad, and so they're the ones. Yeah, give it up for them. They make it happen, and they are on spread out on campuses throughout the city, we're at Northwestern, we're at Loyola, we're at Columbia, we're at UIC, and we're hoping that God will continue to expand our footprint so that we can continue to see his kingdom grow. And so, but that's that's our dream team, and they are incredible, and I'm so blessed to not just have them as a team, but have them as friends. But let me tell you this. How many know? Ministry in life can get busy sometimes. Anybody here wave at me if you know what it means and what it feels like to be busy. Come on, it's okay. It's okay Um, every now and then for it to get really, really busy, but you don't want it to be a lifestyle. Well, we're in a really busy season, and I just want to start off with a confession. We're so busy that our Christmas tree is still up. True story, our Christmas tree is still up. Now, thankfully, it's not a, it's not a real Christmas tree, right? And so, so we're all good on that front, but the Christmas tree is still up. And so no judgment, right? Don't judge me, no shame, right? And so, but you know what? How many know God works all things together for our good? Come on, somebody. <laughs> and so... Um, This past Wednesday, we got hit with a snowstorm. Those watching online, if you're not here in Chicago, maybe you're out in sunny California or Florida or somewhere like that, well, in Chicago, we got a Chicago snowstorm. And so we got hit on Wednesday, and as I'm taking my son to school after shoveling our car out of of his parking space, and we, we jump in, I'm taking him to school, and I'm thinking to myself, like, Wow, this is a lot of snow. Where was this snow December 24th and December 25th? And so, not long after, I had an inspired thought. I said, You know what? Our Christmas tree is still up. So I went home, and my wife is my witness. I said, Chandra, we're going to have a second Lucas family Christmas tonight. The kids came after um, our son got out of school. We told them to plan, like, we're going to have Christmas. We're going to go to our favorite store, Target. And I took, we got there. I got a cart, and I went with Ethan, our oldest, and Chandra went with Cameron, our youngest. And then they went to get, we all got presents for each other. And then we went back home, and we had hot chocolate. We played Christmas music. Um, they watched this Curious George Christmas cartoon thing and most importantly we got a chance to share the gospel afresh with our son Ethan because that's what Christmas is all about and so we wrapped the presents and we put it under the tree like we did the whole deal like it was extra it really was right and so unwrapped the presents we had a grand time and and I say it like this look here's the deal we say we celebrate Jesus' birth all year round, right? But some people take it a little more, you know, literally than others, if you will. And so that's what we did. And we had a, a great time. And my wife said it best at the end of the night. She said, We had a white Christmas in Black History Month. Come on, somebody. God is good. Hey, and one of our staff members were like, y'all are extra. I was like, yeah, we are. <laughs> we had an extra Christmas, and now our kids are going to be confused for the next three years, you know. <laughs> like, hey, where, where's, where's the, is Christmas coming up in two months? No, that was 2022. Just forget about that. Praise God. So, hey, um, we're going to get into the Word. I believe God has a Word for us in our, in our body today. And so Exodus chapter 17, we're going to be reading verses 8 <clears throat> through 16. And I'll just, you can, you can check it out and, and follow along on the screen. And it says, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on the stone. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are here with us already, God. Lord, we've sent your presence, Holy Spirit, in worship. We know, God, that you are pouring out a blessing to your people, Lord. And we just pray that even right now, God, we don't want a message. We want a word, God. I pray, Lord, even now, open hearts. May your word have free course. May nothing hinder your word from going forth. May you anoint my feeble lips, God. I have nothing to share in and of myself, but I pray that you would add a blessing to the sharing of your word, and may you get the glory. And God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. Hey, true story. So I owed the son, Ethan, about four years ago. He was really into this cartoon called Fireman Sam, and it was about a fireman named Sam, <laughs> and he was really into it. And so I decided to surprise him and take him to our favorite store, which is? Target. Took him to Target, and I'm going to, I said, I'm going to bless him with a fire truck. And so I took him to the store, and so we get there, and we're walking around, and we look, we look at a few trucks, but there was one truck that really caught his attention and i took it off the shelf and i gave it to him and my son was like so tiny he got this truck and with so much gusto he said okay let's go dad <laughs> let's go and i'm like where are we going he's like no let's go let's go he's like i got what i came for it's time to go i don't want to get distracted i'm ready to get back home i'm ready to play with my gift and um, I have a video I want you guys to check out. I just wanted to break it down because I'm not sure how well you'll be able to hear it. But this is the actual moment of my son getting his truck, and you guys can take a look. Ethan, what? Let's go. Baby. What do you mean? Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Where are we going? Let's go, baby. Let's go, What is that? What is that? I love you. I love you. No, 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 no! Come back. Let's go back. Let's go back. <laughs> you can't take that. Give it to dad. <laughs> he says my toy my toy so before you get mad at me we did i did buy him the toy right he got it he took it home man we could not separate him from that toy he held on to that thing he held on to it until it broke and even after it broke he continued to hold on to it and come on parents you know that one toy you're like Can't, can we get rid of this thing but they just keep holding on to it because they're so um emotionally connected to it and that's what but grown-ups do it too Come on, come on. Some of us husbands, come on now. You guys have that wallet that is printed, you guys has an imprint in the back of your pocket, right? And you've been holding on to, I see hands going up. And the wifey gives you a hint, like, hey, here's a new wallet for Christmas. Oh, thank you. And then three weeks later, hey, when are you gonna use that wallet? No, I like this wallet, right? And so that's how it was with Ethan. And you know what? He had gotten many toys before that. Every toy during Christmas or birthdays or just because, he would just have it presented to him. What made this different is that he was actually part of the process. And here's what I want us to know, that participation facilitates enjoyment and appreciation. And that's across the board. It doesn't matter what place you're at in life or what arena of life. There's something about being able to participate. And that's why here's our one big thought I want us to take right now as we get the service started. Is that God invites us to participate in the victory that he gives to us. God invites us to participate in the victory that he gives to us. See, God brought about a great victory that we just read of in Exodus. And it was indeed a great victory. He defeated the Amalekites and it was amazing, but he had um, Joshua and his army go and fight them with the sword. And he said, Moses, I want you. And Moses went up to the top of the hill with Aaron and her and they were fighting and Joshua was down low and Moses was up high with the staff. See, this is not that dissimilar to how God does things in general. God, the Bible gives us a picture of a God who invites us to be part of his plan being unfolded in our lives. He desires to work in tandem with his people. We serve a God who says, come, let us reason together. We serve a God who says that, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you will open up, then I'm going to come in. He's going to knock, but we have to open up. God desires to work in tandem with his people. We see it in the gospel with Jesus Jesus was, one man came and said he he needed healing because he was blind. Jesus made some clay out of the mud And put it on the guy's eyes and says, now go and wash your face. And when you wash your face and come back, you're going to be able to see. And that's how God did it. He says, you're going to participate in this miracle. We sit in the Old Testament with Naaman. Naaman had leprosy. And he goes and he goes to the man of God and says, heal me. The man of God says, I want you to go to this pool over there up the street around the corner. And I want you to dip yourself in the pool seven times. And after that, you're going to find a healing. Well, Naaman wasn't happy about that. I wanted you to lay hands on me. I want you to do it quick. He says, no, there's a process I want you to be a part of. And he went, he dipped himself seven times, came out, and he was cleansed entirely. See, God is always progressively revealing himself to his children. And I believe that's why God, because God, he can do exceedingly and abundantly above all we can ask or think, amen? And God can drop that answer to prayer just like that, but God is also interested in the journey. Because it's along the journey that we learn new things about who God is. Who are we talking about in this text? We're talking about Moses. This is the Moses that saw God in the burning bush. I mean, if that happens to me, I would like to think that's enough for a lifetime. Like, okay, I saw God in the burning bush. I'm good. I won't have any more doubts, struggles. I know enough about God. I'm good. Not only did he see God in the burning bush, he saw an entire nation set free through him using the staff of God. Not one plague, not two, three, four, but 10 supernatural acts of Jehovah Moses saw and he was a part of and he saw God do incredible things. And if that wasn't enough, he got to the Red Sea and God says, put your staff up and put it down and boom, and the Red Sea opened up. Moses saw miracles and yet he finds himself at this point and God obliterates the Amalekites and it was so incredible that he said, I got a fresh revelation of God. I'm going to commemorate this. I'm going to celebrate this. I'm going to document this by actually setting up an altar. I like to think of it like this. If Moses can get a fresh revelation of God and a fresh revelation of God along the way, I think I need a fresh revelation of God. I don't think there's a statue of limitations on, on if we can get new things and find out new things about God. God is altogether other. He's always revealing himself. And that's why I think some of us here, if you've been walking with Jesus long enough, you've gotten to know him in one season as healer. Amen. If you've been walking with Jesus long enough, you've gotten to know him as counselor. Amen. If you've been walking with Jesus long enough, you've gotten to know him as comforter. Amen. You've gotten to know him as provider. Amen. If you've been walking with Jesus long enough, he's revealing himself progressively in your life. He's a God that longs to reveal himself. But there was something incredible that happened right here. And Moses says, I have got to write this down. The Lord literally said, write this down because this is something new. And I got to create and build an altar. Moses was so blown away by what the Lord has just done that it says in verse 15, it says that he built an altar and he called it, the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. That literally means Jehovah Nisi. That's the Hebrew name for the Lord is my banner. And it means the Lord gives me victory. Come on, life and death is in the power of the tongue. Let's say that together. The Lord gives me victory. We're confessing it because we know that God is faithful and he's bringing the victory. The Lord is my banner. Banners, what are banners for? They're for celebrating. Celebrating. Honoring, commemorating, they're actually at times they serve as a calls to action. That's what banners do. I actually did a Google search for banners, and really, like, you, you're going to be shocked when you see this. When I did the Google search, and this is what I just typed it in, like, this is what came up of all banners. This is the one that came up. Take a look at this. Wow. Wow. <laughs> it's crazy, right? It's, it's just amazing. I don't, I don't, and it, This is the 1998 NBA World Championship banner. I'm joking. It's not the one that came up. I specifically asked for a Chicago Bulls banner. (laughs) I know this generation, like, let me Google that right now. Let me see if that's what, what happens, right? But this is the most important banner, right? So I know, I get it that a lot of you here couldn't care less about this banner. But you know who really does care about this banner and who this banner does mean a lot to? Jeb Bushler. Bill Winnington, Randy Brown, Scott Burrell, what's that other guy's name? Michael Jordan, Steve Kerr, Scotty Pippen, Dennis Rodman. Why? Because they participated in this banner being hung. They had the blood, the sweat, and the tears. Come on, somebody saw the last dance. Come on, right? Yep. They went through all of that, and that's why I'm sure there's a great deal of appreciation more than the average person or even an ardent fan because they participated in it. And I'll say it again that participation facilitates enjoyment and appreciation. That is why God invites us, church, to participate in the victory that He gives to us. You've been invited. The title of this message is This We Are the Champions. We are the Champions. Now, I can already hear the song going in your heads already. We are the champions, right? The soundtrack is already playing. Well, this is more than a song. This is God's story for God's children. That's why we can confess that we are the champions. See, Moses said, Jehovah gave him victory over the Amalekites. I wonder in this room, how many of you came in today with some Amalekites? It says that the Amalekites lifted up their hands against the throne of the Lord. What's lifting up his hand against the throne or the rulership of Jesus in your life? That's an Amalekite. So you think your struggle that you're going through, the things you're coming up against, that is all about you? No, it's about your faith that's under attack. It's about God's lordship in your life that's under attack. And God takes that personal. He says, because they've lifted their hands up against the Lord, I'm going to take care of them. And Moses says, okay, we were part of it, but God, you did it. God, you are my banner. And so we walked in with some Amalekites, but I speak and I prophesy that we're going to walk out with a fresh revelation of Jehovah Nisi, God, our banner. Now, let me break down a little bit of like the historical context here, right? So what is happening? So the people of Israel, they just left a place of bondage and they're now on their way to God's promised land. They left the place of slavery, and now they're heading to the promised land. I got a little graphic right here that I think can help help us out in terms of understanding, like, what's happening. So we have the place of slavery that you're going to see, and then there's the destination. So they departed the land of slavery, which was Egypt. And they were going to their destination, which was the promised land, the land of Canaan. Now, along the way from the place of slavery—well, actually over (laughs) here— From the place of slavery, going to the promised land, they encountered some Amalekites. They encountered some pushback. And that's where this story kind of like picks up at, in the middle, in like the passageway, if you will. This is a historical foreshadowing of our journeys with Jesus often, right? When you accept Jesus, you've left a place of slavery. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You've left the things of this world. You've left the old Todd. You've left your old lives behind in faith, and you're now pursuing the things of God. And eventually, eventually we're going to be with Jesus forever. Can I get an amen? Amen. And we praise God for that, right? And let me break it down a little, one step further. When you accept Jesus, you have been justified. Can somebody say justified? justified? Justified. Justified means that when God sees you, he sees his son. When God sees you because you've accepted Jesus, he sees you as righteous, not because of works you have done, but according to his mercies. It's through, it's grace through faith that brings us to a relationship with Jesus. Here's one way of saying it. Justified, just as if I'd never sinned before. And so you've been justified. And so this is right now, but in the future, we we're going to actually be with God and our bodies are going to be glorified. We're going to have brand new bodies. Can I get an amen? My pastor used to say, hey, I know we all have things about our bodies we don't like, but if you don't like your body, just hang in there. You're going to get a new one on the other side. Hallelujah. <laughs> but there's something that happens between our space of being justified and then eventually being with Jesus in heaven. I'm going to show you this next slide. And this is where things get really mixed up. And this is where we get confused and we begin to struggle. And this is where we encounter those Amalekites. Because there's justification, but then there's glorification. And in between, we have this thing called sanctification. See, justification is past tense. My spirit has been justified. I am right before God. I'm seated with him in heavenly places. Glorification is future tense. My body will be glorified. But sanctification is present tense. My soul is being sanctified. And that's where the battle is raging. It's a battle for your soul. And that's what we're speaking to today. It's these Amalekites that's trying to come at you. But let me encourage you, but 2 Corinthians chapter three, verse 18, it says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the spirit. The context here is this verse is the one that comes right after saying that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. See, when we accept Jesus, the spirit of the Lord comes to live on the inside of us. And there's a new trajectory in our lives that's arcing towards freedom. That's God's will for our lives. That's the thing. God wants us to go from glory to glory to glory to glory. See, I can say that right now, but it wasn't always easy for me to say that. When I first gave my heart to Jesus, I had this thought, because I was around other Christians, and I, I come like I was not churched. And so when I gave my heart to Jesus, I'm thinking, and I'm seeing others, like, walk in victory and, and freedom, and I'm like, you know what, victory, that's for the super Christians, That's for the pastors and the leaders and those who were raised in the church, if you will. But for me, my lot in this life, if I can hold on to Jesus and not lose my salvation and limp along and make it on the other side, then I'm good. And God rebuked me one day. I was reading the word. First John chapter five, verse four. It says that everyone, everybody say everyone. It says everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. And the Lord spoke to me right there. He said, Todd, for the Christian, victory is not some random reality that God bestows on his favorites. For the believer in Christ, victory is a birthright. Let me say that over here. I said, for the believer in Christ, victory is a birthright. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's something we can lay claim to. It's something that God wants us to walk in. That's why we serve a God whose name is victory. We serve Jehovah Nisi. And that's why sometimes our information, if you will, or our situation doesn't meet our revelation. But we got to hold on to that revelation. We got to hold on to that truth because eventually our situations will catch up if we hold on and believe. How do we gain the victory? How do we practically participate in the victory that God gives to us? Take a look at verse 9. It says, Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I'm going to stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. I want to show you guys a picture of this verse. And here's a, here's a, um, a picture, right? And so that's, that's Aaron and her. Holding up the hands of Moses. But I want you guys to see a depiction of, if you will, the topography and the layout of this battle. He says, you fight down here. You fight over here. Tomorrow, the three of us, we're going to go up there and do our part. You do your part down here. We're going to do our parts up there. Why does this matter? The placement here is significant because this is what we're going to walk away with. Our practical way of carrying out and participating in God's victory in our lives is that there's a battle down low and there's a battle up high. There's a battle down low and this represents our natural battles. This represents the day-to-day decisions that we have to make, our responsibilities of engaging life's struggles and we have to. We have to engage struggles on this level, no doubt. We have to be responsible. But that's only one part of the battle. There's a battle up high. And what that represents is our spiritual battle. That represents the praying, the worshiping, the abiding, the waiting, the fasting, the confessing. That is what, that's what that represents. And it tells us right here, it says, as long as his hands were lifted up, the battle was being won. But when his hands went down, they were losing the battle. What it says is that what was happening up there was impacting what was happening down here. Let me say that again. What was happening up there on high, the battle up on high was impacting the battle that was happening down low. I think a lot of times we see it as a one-dimensional battle. We think our issues in our marriage is just because we don't get along, (laughs) and we have personality differences, and you just don't understand me. No, that's not the entirety of the battle. You better pray on that thing. Can I get an amen? It says the family that prays together stays together. You have to engage in spiritual warfare and begin to push back against the forces of darkness that wants to bring your marriage apart. See, you think that... I've been trying to get a job and find employment. Man, the doors keep closing in my face. I don't know what's going on. I need to beef up my resume. I need to present myself differently. Yeah, there might be some truth to that, but there's a bigger thing here because God's call is on your life. God has a purpose for your life. Have you brought that thing before the Lord? Have you literally even laid hands on that resume? Well, we don't have physical resumes, but extend your hands to the screen or something. Have you presented it before the Lord? You think your issues with anxiety and mental health are just neurological and social, and perhaps they are, but that's not it. There's also a spiritual component. Have you abided in the presence of God and asked God to bring that comfort? Have you heard from the wonderful counselor, and it's good to get therapy, but have you went to the wonderful counselor? It's not just one-dimensional, guys. You think your battle for purity is just a physical thing. No, it's spiritual. See, There was a woman who found herself in a place where she was just fighting down low. She's known as the woman with the issue of blood. She had been bleeding for 12 years, the Bible says. For 12 years, she had been fighting this physical ailment. And it says that she had spent everything that she had. She went to this doctor, she went to this specialist, she went to them, went to them, went to them. And it says that after she ran out of her money, Not only did she not get better, it actually had gotten worse. But then she heard about Jesus, it tells us in Mark 5. It says she heard about Jesus, and she says, if I can just touch him, in other words, if I can just have an encounter with Jesus, I've been fighting this battle down low, but now I'm about to fight this battle up high because I've tried everything in the natural. I need to try, I need to let God put his super on top of my natural, and I'm going to connect with him. And when that happened, it says that everything cleared up immediately. Here's here's a little bonus for you. It says that after she touched him, Jesus literally said, who touched me? The disciple says, what are you talking about? It's so crowded. Everybody's crowding up on you. It was like being at the Taste of Chicago on July 3rd before the fireworks show back in 2000, and everybody's crowded up on each other, and he's like, who touched me? This is why he said that, because many people came into physical contact with Jesus, but only one person touched him. See, we can come to church and we can be in the physical proximity, but what touches God is when we worship in spirit and truth. When we approach him in faith, and God can be touched by a lot of people at the same time. Can I get an amen? There's a battle down low, but there's a battle up high. See... My story is I come from Chicago. I'm a native Chicagoan, born and raised in the Cabrini Green housing projects, right? And so I get this whole thing about fighting and battling. Sometimes I have to make sure that what I'm bringing is from the inner courts and not the inner city, if you get what I'm saying. Come on, sometimes our fights, we be battling right and fighting. Is that from the inner courts or is that from the inner city? Okay, that's a different message for a different time. But I'm I'm from Chicago, and so I go down state to school and I was in college and I gave my heart to Jesus at the end of my freshman year and it changed me forever, right? And that's when I gave my heart to the Lord. And I gave my heart to the Lord at a concert on campus. And so about a year or so later, um, I found out about this group called Kai Alpha, which is the group I serve with right now. And so I go and I get connected. and I attended a church service with a church that's connected to the Chi Alpha downstate. And I go into the service and I meet the pastor, and he says, Is this Todd? I'm like, Yeah. I'm like, Hi. And yeah, I'm Todd. And he was like, You have no idea. We have been praying for you. Wow. And that happened with the pastor and like five others in the span of about a week. You're Todd? You're, I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like, Yeah, I'm, I'm him, right? And what I didn't know was about a year earlier. See, I was a 24 karat gold center, I wasn't a church kid center, I was a street kid center. And I got in a lot of trouble my, um, my freshman year in college. And if you asked me, was I a Christian? I would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I didn't know God from a hole in the wall. I didn't attend church, but if I had to fill out a census, I would have said, yeah, Christian. I would have checked that box. We went to church maybe sometimes on Easter and those kinds of things, right? And I thank God for the exposure I did have to the gospel up to that point, but I had not given my heart to Jesus. And so... I was just violating the conduct code left and right on campus. And so when you violate rules, you have to face authority. That's just a fact. And so my head resident and my RA, they would come to my door quite often. And we would have encounters. One's name was Chris McGlory. The other one was Henry Musangi. Henry Musangi is the most humble guy on the face of the earth. He's right beneath Moses. Like this guy is the most humble guy. He's from Kenya. And I got to know him later, but he would come to my door and say, Todd, are you doing X, Y, and Z? And I would give him such a hard time. But what I didn't know is that they were fighting, not just down low, but they were also fighting up high. They were taking my name back to the prayer meeting on campus. They, this campus ministry prayed, this Chi Alpha group prayed from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., 364 days a year. The only day they didn't do it was on Christmas. <laughs> And they prayed at home, I would assume, right? But this was a ministry just like CT, which was a prayer ministry. And they would pray for me. They would go say, pray for Todd, pray for Todd, pray for Todd. They were encountering me here down low, but then they would take my name back up high and say, pray for Todd, pray for Todd. And it was in April of my freshman year that they really went into what they call warfare prayer. They began to say, God, you better get this guy Todd. And this is my... My campus pastor, if you knew Pastor Dale, this was him. God, you better get him in Jesus' name. And so they were praying like crazy, and it was that month that I gave my heart to Jesus. I had never met them. They had never met me. And so I meet them. That's why, like, you're Todd? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, man. And so they prayed me into the kingdom. I want us to know we, some of us have wayward children that we've been praying for. God hears those prayers. We've been fighting down low, but God's like, no, we got to take this battle up high. See, they understood something. Actions are important, but altars are paramount, people. Actions, yeah, we need to do our thing over here. And we'll talk about that here in a second before we close. But what's most important, like like the woman with the issue of blood understood was to have an encounter with Jesus. That's what brought about the radical change. Our actions are important but our altars are paramount. See, without an altar and we got the actions, this is what our Christianity is like, white-knuckling it. I'm just going to hold on and I'm going to try my best and we fall into striving, legalism, and condemnation. And then we falter and we get discouraged. See, if we are fighting just white-knuckling it, then we're fighting a two-dimensional battle with one-dimensional weaponry. Let me say that again. We find ourselves fighting a two-dimensional battle just in one dimension, and that's in the natural. Let me tell you about our weaponry. It says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Can I get an amen? amen? On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strong. Somebody say divine power. See, divine power is, see, we think that if you came here today and you're with a friend or maybe you're by yourself and you're looking around and you see people singing and it's like, man, they're really into this singing. No, it looks like they're just singing, but they're fighting. That's spiritual battles that are taking place. And you might think, oh man, they're praying. Yes, we are praying, but our prayers are more than just talk. Our prayers, we're battling and we are fighting. You think when you're reading the Bible that we're just reading words and we're reading a book? No, we are fighting. We're fighting. When we're abiding in the presence of the Lord, that's our way of fighting the weapons of our warfare. They have divine power. And this is how we fight. See, abiding in his word equips us to act according to his word. Can I get an amen? See, worship in the spirit impacts our walks down here in the streets. Unbroken fellowship with the father heals broken relationships with our families. We need to get that. It's in the abiding. It's in the seeking. So there's a battle down low, but there's also a battle up high. That's why we have altar calls. (laughs) That's why we have prayer meetings on Tuesday. That's why it's the most important meeting, because what happens up high impacts what happens down low. Now, I must say this, that sometimes we get it twisted the other way. We pray but we refuse to obey. <laughs> we spend time in God's presence and we seek and we're like, and I've had conversations. I'm a campus missionary. I talk to students and others all the time. And I'm saying, like, hey, so what is God telling you about that? I'm still praying about it. When are you going to make that move on X, Y, and Z? I'm still praying on it. And we find ourselves in that valley of indecision and God is ready to do some incredible things. But because of fear and, and analysis, we find ourselves in a place of paralysis and we never move. See, we're fighting up high, but we don't realize that what happens up high needs to have implications for what happens down low. They say we shouldn't be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. So we say, God, I want to date in a way that honors you. Well, we can pray that, which is a good prayer. But we also have to make sure we don't pray that and then allow somebody who's not our spouse, not Mary, stay the night because you're setting yourself up for failure. There's a practical way that this plays out. And we say we're struggling with anxiety or discouragement or even depression. But we jump on Instagram and it leads to comparison and discouragement. And the Spirit of God is like, you've been seeking me, but you have to actually submit when I speak. We say we want to accelerate our walk with Jesus, but then we stay in concert with those who are not leading us down the right path. And that was my story. I had, to, I had to shake some friends. I had to get accountable when I had these struggles. And that's when I began to see there's a battle up high, but there's also a battle down low. Here's a thought. A surrendered will releases the power of Jehovah Nisi to bring about true victory in our lives. Church, in your quest for freedom, do you tend to fight down low or do you tend to fight up high? As we get ready to close, you know, I talked about as you walk with God through the years, you begin to see different facets of his faithfulness. But that often means you're going to go through some valleys. And my family and I, we've been through a valley over the last year and a half or so. Back in October of 2020, we were delighted to learn that we were pregnant with um, our third child. My wife and I, we rejoiced. We told our family. We usually waited a while, but we told our family. We praised God. Well, six weeks later, on Thanksgiving Day, my wife began to miscarry. And it was confusing, disorienting. It was sad. And it was hard for us, but it was especially hard for us to tell at the time our our, our five year old, Ethan. Because he was like, "When When is the baby coming? When is the baby coming? When is the baby coming? And we eventually kind of worked our way through that. But let me tell you, my wife, she's a writer. She's a prolific writer. And for over six months, she could not put pen to pad because she was grieving on the inside and processing it. We were processing it as a family and just giving back to the Lord a baby that we never got a chance to hold in our hands. Fast forward to this past August, late August, I found myself short of breath. Whenever you have shortness of breath, in this day and age, you're thinking COVID. And so um, I realized that wasn't it. And I had my yearly uh, <clears throat> annual physical coming up, so I went to my PCP, went to the doctor, and she's like, yeah, you're just probably out of shape. I'm like, okay, that's, that sounds, that's probably about right. But they did lab work, blood work, like they usually do. A week later, she calls me up, and she says, Todd, this is Dr. Um, Sanbar and um, you are severely anemic. See, as a healthy, a healthy male should have a hemoglobin count somewhere between 14 and 16. My hemoglobin, get this, was less than a six. There was some bleeding that was taking place or something. She says, you need to go to the ER right away. So, afraid and, and just confused, I go to the ER and then they're running all kinds of tests and for the next several days, they're running tests. They're asking about... Are there any blood disorders in your family or anything like that? I'm like, no. And we're just so confused and we're just wondering, like, what is this? Never spent a day in the hospital or a day in my life, but I'm there for four days. And eventually they said, you know what? We've checked all these boxes. Let's, let's just, to get this out of the way, let's just do a colonoscopy. They did a colonoscopy. And to our shock, after the colonoscopy, they said, we found cancer. They said, it's stage two colon cancer. And we were shocked, and I like to say, I wish I could sit up here and say right away, just right away, that I began to fight the battle up high. I began to ask questions. I began to say, okay, what needs to happen? or What does this mean? What are the implications? But how many of you know that when you are going through a valley, even if you and I are not able to fight up high, you got others who can fight up high with you. And I thank God that during that time, Pastor Toledo was calling us every single day. We had the pastors from the church fighting for us. We had our team that were fighting for us. We had people all across the world who were praying for us. And they were fighting for us. And they were standing with us. And they weren't just fighting up high. They were also fighting down low. We had people bringing food to our house. When I was in the hospital, we had just moved. We didn't have any furniture and people were bringing mattresses. And I'm telling you, the saints of God rose up, but we were in it and there was a lot of fear. And so we were waiting and wondering, and for two months, we didn't know what the next steps would be or what all this meant. At the end of those two months, a doctor from the University of Chicago that's one of the top in the world when it comes to colon cancer looked at my report and he says, no, this is, he looked at everything and they did a thorough search over weeks and he says, this is the bottom line. We don't need to do any more treatment because this prognosis is good. We don't need to, the surgery was good enough. We don't need chemotherapy. We don't need anything else. He says that And then they went on and they did other testing. They did testing for my blood to make sure they didn't have what they would call circulating tumor DNA to see if anything was still floating around that would come back up later and negative, 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 negative. It was really God began to come through. And let me tell you, in the midst of that, at first I was a little, you know, um, unstable in terms of wasn't really all that eager and ready to fight on high, but it didn't take long before the saints of God stabilized me because that's why we need the saints of God. And we began to fight as a family and we began to pray. We began to seek the face of the Lord. And there was a song that stayed on repeat in our home, and it was the song called A House of Miracles. And we were just playing it over and over and over again and worshiping until that one day they said, Todd, you are cancer free. You are cancer free. Well, how many know that there is a meta narrative in all of our lives that God wants to end with restoration? We lost a child a year before due to a miscarriage. And we didn't know if we would be able to have kids again or anything. My wife walks into the room. When I first got out of surgery, still didn't know. We were in the, dip, the depth of the pit. And I'm laying on the bed, couldn't move because I was just incapacitated. She walks in and she says, she shows me the test. She says, we're pregnant. <laughs> she says, we're pregnant. And May 13th, we're going to be welcoming by the grace of God, our third boy. I'm a boy dad. We're just a boy family. Why, why do I bring that up? Let me tell you, it was a struggle to bring it up, to be honest, because there was shame attached to being sick. I'm like, I'm young and why, I I just hear some, it's weird, shame is irrational. It didn't make any sense, but God said, Todd, is your identity in your health, in your age, or is it in me? Share my story. This is not my story, it's God's story. Because here's the thing about banners. You know what we know about banners? Let me show you this banner right here. This banner has inspired many people. Banners inspire. That's why they are hung in a very conspicuous way. So people can see them. The Lord wants you to know that banners inspire in church, that God wants all of your lives to be banners. And so what we want to do today, number one, let me encourage you. Tell your story about Jehovah Nissi and if you haven't invited Jesus into your story, invite him in. Make him part of your story because he always brings about redemption. I want to pray for us. We prayed at the end of the first service. And I wanna pray, maybe there are some people here who need physical healing. Maybe some of us need emotional healing. Maybe we need provision. Whatever it is, we need Jehovah Nissi to bring about the victory in our lives.